It is good to be with you guys. You guys have obviously learned as well as I did that when Brent says, if you can't sing, it's probably better if you don't. And then you hear him sing. And you're like, well, by way of comparison, we, pr- we probably all should just shut up. So anyway, it's good to, good to be back with Brent. I love this guy a ton. Um, hey, as we get started here, by the way, this is my first time to man camp here at Heartland. Thanks for welcoming a stranger, because from what I understand, this is like a thing for you guys. How many of you guys have been up here like years, been coming up to this place? Yeah, so thanks for welcoming the newbie. Uh, I appreciate that a lot. It is a little colder than I expected, but uh, it's man camp, so I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make it work. Um, just by way of introduction, where, where are we all from church-wise? Give me a quick shout-out. Bakersfield. Bakersfield. What church in Bakersfield? Okay, Liberty Christian and Baco. Guys showing the gang signs for that. Thank you. All right, what else? Got Han- guys in Hanford. By the way, did you notice the competition that went down with the dudes in Hanford when they tried to find the one ball guy? I mean, literally, they're all having to compare. They're like rock, paper, scissor for who got to be the bald guy up here. Great job. All right, where else? Hanford, Bakersfield, Fresno. Fresno. Where are you guys from? Bethany MB. Love it. Welcome. So glad you're here. Is Weeby here? Oh, Weeby. Their senior pastor is a great guy. Uh, Who else? Dinuba. He is your senior pastor still, right? Did I miss something in COVID? How do you say his name? Weeb. How about that? Well, take that, Zweebach Toast or whatever that stuff is that those MBs make. All right, what else we got? Who else in the back? Fresno, I heard another Fresno from where? Is it really Weeb? All these years. Well, we've just been texting, so, you know, let's see if you can keep your word and don't tell him. How's that? All right, we had one more back here, sorry. Dinuba, oh, we had a River Park, excellent. So, so glad, Reedley, we had another Reedley here? Reedley MB? Okay, yeah, because kind of what happens in Reedley, right? So welcome. All right. Hey, just, just by way of a little introduction, uh, I've been, uh, my name is Brad. As I mentioned, I've been married for a little over 20 years, 22 years to my wife, Jen. She is a patient woman. And uh, if you knew my story of origin, you would know what kind of a miracle it is that anybody with the last name of Bell could stay married for 20 plus years. So God is good. Uh, I have two daughters, prayed for boys. God gave me girls. So I have a lot of estrogen in my home and I have a golden doodle dog. So I have zero man card stuff that's worthy at home. Uh, I don't hunt. I don't fish. Um, I don't even do much of anything awesome. Um, I played football, but it was like in the early 90s, so nobody here remembers unless maybe the bald Hanford guys. So, um, but, but I pastor a church in Fresno called the Well Community Church. And by the way, I hope we're cool with that, right? Are we okay to poke fun? Because you guys look like you could hurt me. So I just, I want to make sure we're all right. But I played, um, uh, pastor church rather in Fresno called the well been doing that for almost 20 years and just having a ton of fun and it's an interesting journey for me for the, how many of you uh, where you are now if you talk to your high school self self back in the day and you said hey you're going to be this guy when you're you know years later would have just thought no chance this side of heaven right so I was not the guy signing up for ministry at the you know vocational tent at school I, I, I got a com- I got a degree from Fresno State in community health education, which has had about this much help in my ministry. So uh, it's really kind of a worthless thing. But uh, I, I just did not see this coming. Didn't grow up in church. Grew up with my pops. My uh, parents divorced when I was nine. Mom's been gay most of my life. Dad remarried to a gal who was in our home for about 13 months. And then she bounced. And then dad showed me where the condoms were. And that's what manhood became. Because, you know, it's good to be responsible. So, you know, here you go, son. And that was, that was my life for many, many years. Kind of a, 
a wrecking ball morally. I had zero moral compass. Uh, I was playing football and living in a fraternity, which is not a good combination. Uh, I was basically a 260-pound drunk and uh, came, kind of came to the end of myself. And I don't know if any of you have, have kind of hit bottom. Uh, I hit bottom uh, at the end of high school and just found a shovel and kept digging and uh, got into uh, college and it got even worse. And then finally, I kind of just looked around and I said, what am I doing with my life? How did I get here? And is this as good as it gets? And these guys started telling me about Jesus. And I'm like, no, I don't want to be one of those guys. Those guys are weak. Those guys are sissies. Those guys, I mean, no, like anything but them. And I uh, ended up hearing the gospel. Uh, went to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes event for free food. It's the only reason I went was for the food. So the Christian bait and switch is a thing, but it is effective, man. It is effective. <laughs> so I showed up for the food and I heard the gospel. And uh, sitting on one side of me was a guy named Brandon Bach. He was a basketball player. Sitting on the other side was an average football guy. Just won a Super Bowl. His name was Trent Dilfer. And they're praying for me. They're praying for me that I would come to faith. I'm like, what does that even mean? Uh, probably, by the way, for those of you who are unchurched guys, the guys sitting next to you are, are, are your version of Brandon Bakke and Trent Dilfer, and they're praying for you because they want you to understand is the same thing my boys wanted me to understand, and that is that you were created for a purpose, and the purpose wasn't just to go whore around to get drunk. The purpose actually was to walk intimately with the God who created you, that there is a plan for life, and it comes from the Bible. And yeah, I know Christians historically sometimes have been idiots. They've ripped people off. They've said one thing. They've done another. The biggest hypocrites, you know, in the history of Christianity, oftentimes, unfortunately, were pastors. Don't, don't hold that against Jesus. That's got nothing to do with him because the Jesus of the Bible realigns us to his life. This is what life is meant to be lived like. And they're praying for you, what my buddies were praying for me, that my eyes would be opened by the grace of God to see what I didn't see before. And so the reason I share that with you is to say, you're probably like, man, I can't believe I went to this stupid Christian conference, a bunch of dudes like singing, raising their hands, like what have I gotten myself into? And uh, I say, man, if that's you, I'm just so glad you're here. And I just commit to you, I'm going to teach you what the Bible says, I'm going to try to stay out of opinion as much as possible, and just show you what the Word of God says, because it is amazing. And maybe what we'll do is, is one of two things. For those of you that are new to the Bible, I want to introduce you to some biblical concepts in as uh, low of a religious context as possible and just, just straight up talk about what the Word says. And then the other thing I'd like to do for those of you that know the Lord is to remind you of what you already know, but maybe need to be reminded of afresh. Now, I'm not a fan, by the way, of Bible teaching that is like so deep that you have no idea how they found that in the Bible. I find that incredibly unhelpful. Uh, what I do find helpful, though, is for us to look at the Word of God and just ask the question, what does it say and what does it mean in my life? And so that's the journey we'll go on together. So I commit to you to not be super long-winded, um, and so that way not to bore you. Uh, but I also would encourage you to get your Bible because we're going to dig a little bit. They have some in the back, and so if you don't have a Bible or if your Bible was Google, uh, Google doesn't work out here. So you might want to grab, it's, it's called a, a print Bible. They're available back there. Grab one of those. We're going to be in Genesis 3 in our first session. What I'd like to do tomorrow is kind of lay some theological bricks down and understand both the point in time and overtime work of the gospel. What I'd like to do in our third session is uh, walk through the story of Abraham just a little bit from the book of Genesis and learn from his life. And then what I'd like to do at our final time 
is cover Mark 12 and uh, really dig into what the good life in pursuit of Jesus really looks like and maybe leave with some practical things. So that's the sort of the four-message direction that, that we're heading uh, here this weekend. So um, I, I kind of toyed with a little, like, COVID theme, which I, I'm tired of COVID too, so I'm kind of hating myself for actually doing that. But if you're looking for titles, we're going to talk about Patient Zero tonight, tomorrow morning. We're going to talk about uh, the ultimate cure tomorrow night, uh, the ongoing side effects, uh, and then we're going to talk about on our fourth and final message, the good life. And so that's where we're heading. When you open your Bible, by the way, if you open to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it's probably the most important verse in all of the Bible, and that is, in the beginning, God. Now, the reason that's significant for those of you who are new to the Bible is it doesn't say, in the beginning, you. Right? In the beginning, God. And and there was a beginning for temporal mankind. There was a beginning for this world that we are living in. God has no beginning. God is eternal. He's just present at the start of it all for us. And what you find in the uh, book of Genesis is chapters 1 and 2 are almost redundant. Um, in that chapter 1's walking through a chronologic view of the creation account. This happened this day and this day and this day and this day and it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was, good. It was really good. Chapter 2 is a little bit more of a deep dive into a thematic view of the most important element of the creation, which was humankind. And in chapter 1, we see in verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. He created them. I want to start just for a second and say this. If by chance you were called by your parents an accident or an oops, my dad likes to explain to me, you were the the case of beer and a spa in Tahoe. I go, first of all, that's sick and wrong. I don't want to hear about you and mom in a spa in Tahoe. Um, but uh, if you ever felt like you were an accident, can I just encourage you with something? Uh, you're actually an image bearer of an almighty God who created you in his image. Now, your parents might have been surprised by you, but you were not a surprise to the God who created you fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb. So if your dad said you were a loser, I assure you, you are not. If your dad said you're never going to be anything, friend, you already are something, whether you know it or not. You were created in the image of God. It's a beautiful picture of dignity that he gives us. And in chapter 2, God gives this creation. He creates man and then woman. He gives them in chapter 2, verse 16, a very clear commandment. And I want to explain this very clear commandment because as we're talking about patient zero, we have to begin to ask and answer the question, why is this, if God is good, which he is, if God is sovereign, which he is, God is over it all, which he is. Why does this world suck? Which it does. We have to go all the way back to what I'll call patient zero. I mentioned I got a health degree and it had zero impact on my ministry whatsoever. There was one class I took that I actually really enjoyed. It's probably because it's the one class I actually ever attended. But it was a class on epidemiology, the study of disease and its transformation. So strangely enough, when COVID first hit a year ago, I was all about it. Because I'm like, oh, I took the class, right? So let's find out vectors of transmission. Let's talk about contact tracing and socially distancing. And let's talk about comorbidities. And I was all about it. I'm tired of it now. But a year ago, it was kind of fun. And uh, what you find is you've got to go back to where it all started. So like some lab in Wuhan, China, in our case. Um, But if you ever wondered why this world is so broken, why it's so jacked, why things are the way they are, why guys drink too much, why you can't quit looking at porn, 
why uh, guys have affairs, uh, why there's racism in our culture, why any of those things. You, you, you name the thing that sucks and ask the question, where did we get that? And you're going to find it here in Genesis chapter 3. Because God gives a clear command to Adam in chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord commands man saying, look, from any tree of this garden that I've created for you, you can eat and eat freely. And by the way, all of the creation accounts in chapter 1 builds to the sort of the crescendo of all creation, which is God making man and placing him in this Garden of Eden. He says, look, dude, this is awesome. Uh, you are created in holiness here, and there's no sin present yet, so you're all naked and unashamed, which is great. And so here you are. But one thing I don't want you to do, I don't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one you shouldn't eat from. On the day you eat from it, you shall, it says, surely die. Now, there's an interesting thing about sin, and the reason I, I start all the way back in Genesis, and if you've heard me teach, I come back to this passage a lot, because this is patient zero. Because there's something about Adam and Eve that's very much like us. By the way, have you realized the older you get, the more you look like your dad? How terrible is that, right? Unless your dad's, you know, here, and then you're like, oh, it's great. But the reality is the older we get, the more we, we act like our dads. Well, if you trace it back, we're, we're just like Adam. Because if I said to you, by the way, hey, look, uh, there's a lot of doors here. Of any of these doors that you see, you're welcome to exit, but not that one. Whatever you do, don't go out from that one. Why is it that every single one of us is like, well, why? What's behind that one? Like, what is it over there? That's, that's something we inherit from our dad, our dad being Adam. And so sure enough, when you get to uh, chapter 3, what you find is God had created this world, he set it in motion, created man in his image, gave him one thing he wasn't allowed to do. And then comes now chapter 3, verse 1. It says, the serpent now was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he says to the woman, indeed, as God said to you, you should not eat from any tree of the garden. Now we have to ask a question right off the bat, who the heck's the serpent? Well, the Bible interprets the Bible. So by the way, anytime you find something in the scripture that you think is unique, if you can't find it anywhere else in 66 books of the Bible, keep studying because you probably missed it. So the Bible interprets the Bible, and thankfully, all the way into the book of Revelation, chapter 20, the Apostle John gives us a picture of who this serpent is. In fact, it says in Revelation 20, verse 2, that uh, he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, the devil, Satan. So we get an identity as to who this serpent is, and Chapter 3. Now we could get into the weeds of when was Satan created and why is Satan here and we'd have to cross-reference to a little Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. For the sake of time, just know Satan was a created angel, created by God. He um, raised his fist in rebellion against God and was ejected from heaven. Ends up now down on earth and if God is God and therefore um, all-powerful, Satan knows he can't get any with God so he goes after what God loves which is his creation. And so here now he comes to the woman. The second question we have to ask is not just who is the serpent, but why does he go to the woman? Now, you've got to be careful, fellas, especially at man camp when you talk about why he went to the woman. Okay, because it's not because she's less intelligent. And all the women, if they were here, would say, amen. Right? It's not because she's less spiritual. It's that in the previous chapter, God actually gave the command to not eat from the tree to Adam. And so before we get cocky, like, that's right, women, you're always messing things up. It was actually his job to communicate to her accurately what God said. 
And what you're going to find here is, if you've ever felt inadequate as a spiritual leader, again, you get that from your dad. That comes from Adam. He didn't do his job real well either, and the wheels come off. We'll talk more about that here in just a little bit. So what happens is Satan now comes to uh, her, and he's going to begin what is kind of a threefold challenge against God. He's going to challenge God's word. He's going to challenge God's justice, and he will challenge God's love. Notice what he says in verse 1. Indeed, has God said to you, you shouldn't eat from any tree of the garden. Uh, well, that's, that's sort of what he said, but he, he added more to that. Watch what she does. The woman says to the serpent, well, you know, from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, we can eat, but from the fruit of the tree that's in, of the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we shouldn't eat it or touch it or we will die. Now, that's interesting. Because did God say don't touch it? Do we have any Baptists in the house? Okay, good. This is like Baptists before Baptist was a thing. Meaning this is religion. So if touching, or excuse me, if eating is bad, which that was the command, don't eat it, then touching must be equally as bad. Now maybe you can relate to this. It goes something like this religiously. If premarital sex is bad, premarital dancing equally as bad. If, if getting drunk is bad, then alcohol is bad, period. That's, that's a religious interpretation. She adds to what God said. God just said, don't touch it, or excuse me, don't eat it. She says, if don't eat it or touch it. Not only that, but God said, if you eat it, you shall surely die in chapter 2. It's, it's emphasis added in the redundancy of language, which means if you eat it, you are boneyard dead. I ain't playing. If you eat it, you're done. And she says, ah, you shouldn't eat it or touch it or you will die. So she adds religion and lessens the consequences. And so here comes Satan. The serpent says to the woman, you surely shall not die. So he is challenging God's word. And then he goes on. He says, well, God knows that on the day that you eat it, your eyes are going to be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now it's worth noting that when Satan falls from heaven, again, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, the sin that is found in Satan that ejects him and a third of the angelic realm, now called demons, is a thing called pride. I don't know if you've heard anything about pride. I don't know if you can connect at all with the sin struggle of pride. Maybe I'm the only dude here. But if that's the case, the sin of pride was found in Satan in that Satan said, I appreciate God that you've created me. I appreciate that I'm in your presence and you are almighty God, but I kind of want your job. I want to ascend to the most high. I want to sit in the throne of heaven. I want to be like God. And God's like, yeah, I'm actually one and only. I am preeminent and prominent. I am the only true God, and I'm not sharing this with you. Who are you? I mean, who do you think you are? So he flicks him out of heaven. By the way, if you think that there's a battle between God and Satan, like knuckle-biter, cage fight, who's going to win? Just read the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation, Satan gets, he gets grabbed like a boy, punk-slapped and thrown into prison for a thousand years, and then cast into the lake of fire, and God's like bored with him. Okay, so there's no, there's no competition between God and Satan. The reason I bring that up is the sin that Satan had was pride. Notice what he says here, verse 5. God knows that on the day that you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil which is what Satan wanted, and now he's tempting her into that. So he challenges his word, he challenges his justice, and in verse 5 here, he challenges God's love, because what he's saying, 
at least the way my brain translates this, this is what I thought living in the Sigma Chi fraternity at Fresno State. If God really loved you, he would let you do what feels good, right? But instead, God gives you all these feelings and passions and then makes rules in direct opposition to what feels right. Not only that, to follow God, you can't do anything that's fun and you've got to do all these things that are boring. God's holding out on you. If God really cared about you, he would let you live your life. Can any of you relate to that lie? I mean, that's the lie I bought into. I thought, man, being a Christian sucks. I can't have sex with multiple women. I can't get drunk. I can't do drugs anymore. Like, that kind of sounds boring. That's the lie that's sold here. And so sure enough, verse 6, what you begin to see is her, um, her processor turn on. She starts thinking about it. Watch what happens. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. So do you see her processing it? Just just a good side note, fellas. If you're making decisions based on what you think is right, you are already hosed. Because there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. If your way of thinking isn't anchored in the Word of God, you can talk yourself into anything. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You can talk yourself into anything. How, How many times have you been on the internet? Or maybe I'll put it this way. How many times has one of your friends been been on the internet and 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 they know that that something is a click away like you see it and if i click there it's going to open this door that could be a pandora's box that might be porn i should click it and see what if that's porn if that's porn that's terrible i should i should click on that and just make sure it's not porn because if it how many of you have talked yourself i'm sorry your friends have talked themselves into clicking that button how many of you have tried to get sober and you got a couple days, couple weeks, couple months. Heck, you got a chip. You're so far away from zero, man. You're like, man, I don't even remember those days. And then that moment comes. And you start thinking. My brother's got 31 years sober. He's a unicorn, man. No relapses, 31 years. I'm like, praise God. The only guy I know stubborn enough to just stay sober, right? Praise God for that. But he tells me, he goes, look, man, um, you start thinking and he calls it stinking thinking. Because you start justifying all kinds of stuff. And in a moment of weakness, are we not even today capable of doing all kinds of awful? And we have that conversation in our head. That's what she does. It reminds me, by the way, of 1 John. Where John says, um, do not love the world or anything in the world. Uh, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes... And the boastful pride of life comes not from God, but from the world. Is that not like the most phenomenal summary of the jacked up stuff we end up doing all the time? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. I call that my college years. Some of you call that today. I mean, we're just lured into those things. She shifts gears and is moving now to rationale. And what happens in this moment, by the way, is she takes... And she eats. Now, it's important understanding that theologically speaking, Adam and Eve have some sort of relative holiness because they're walking with God, enjoying fellowship with God 
and there is no need for a sacrifice at this point. So they have some sort of relative holiness. Now, here's one of the things about the Bible that guys with bigger brains love talking about, and that is what ifs. I don't do a lot, I don't do well with what ifs because I'm just not that smart, okay? Some guys can think conceptually and, well, what if this and what if that? And, you know, I'm like, I don't know. All I know is what the Bible says. And so they, they had some relationship with God, some relative holiness, but the ability to choose. And they chose poorly. They choose to sin. And it says here that she takes from the fruit and she ate. Now, here's, here's why I think this is a great patient zero for man camp. For years as a young believer, who, by the way, I didn't know the book of Job from the book of Job. I had no idea which was which. I didn't know anything about the Bible. And I remember reading this passage, and I'm thinking, Satan is a sneaky little booger, isn't he? I mean, here's this guy, sneaks up while Adam's like, I don't know, out planting citrus trees or something. Sneaks up to Eve and deceives her while he's out, you know, doing his manly duty or something like that. And, and then I actually just read the passage for what the passage says. Does it look to you like he's off, like pulling weeds somewhere? No. It looks like he's watching the whole thing go down. Passive, weak-sauce little punk watching it all go down. Because she eats, and he's the one who God said, look, if you eat this, you're going to die. I'm not playing. And so he's like, oh, this is going to be interesting. Let's see, how, let's see how this plays out. And she eats, and it says here that then she hands it to him, and he eats, which means he's standing there watching this thing all go down. From here, the reason I call this patient zero is from here now all the sin of the world spreads out. And something happens in the heart of man here that cannot be remedied by human effort ever. And that's what I want to sort of set up as we're starting our time. What happens here is something inside of humankind breaks, irreparably breaks, irreparably in terms of our human ability to fix it. It is beyond your reach. It is beyond your control. It is nothing you can do to fix it whatsoever. It's only God who can provide the remedy. And you say, well, why is that significant? Because from this moment in history, human history forward, we are brought forth in sin and conceived in iniquity. Some people I know even here tonight are like, no, no, humans are good people. I'm like, where have you been the last year? Have you not seen what we've been seeing? People, oh no, by nature, pe people are good people by nature. Which people? I certainly have not met those people, and I'm not looking at those people now. There's not a single person who was born good because from this moment forward, sin comes into our life, which means that we are brought forth in sin and conceived in iniquity, and there's none righteous, not even one. So think about this. Do any of you have, by the way, little kids like toddlers? My, my oldest is 18. Keep your hands raised real quick. My oldest is 18. My youngest is 15. So I don't live in the tantrum world. You know what I'm talking about, those tantrums? Why is it always Target? Have you ever noticed that? There's something about Target that just causes kids to freak out. But have you ever seen a kid, a toddler, lose their mind in a Target or a Walmart or a wherever, right? All, they, they want the, like, the toy, you're like, no, Johnny, you don't get the toy. I want the toy. No, Johnny, you don't get the I want the toy. And that kid freaks out. Did you ever one time have to say to Johnny, oh, no, Johnny, here's how you do it. You freak out, and then you lay on the floor, and then you flail like this. Okay, do it like I did it. 
Did you have to teach that kid how to throw a tantrum? No. That kid was born hardwired to do that. Why? That kid is brought forth in sin and conceived in iniquity. Any of you have infants at home? Infants? Welcome to man camp. Isn't that great? With the one exception, my brother, that you're probably sleeping in a bunkhouse with a guy who's going to snore like a chainsaw. Okay? But think about ta- or, uh, infants rather for a minute. That infant, the entire world of that infant revolves around it. If it's unhappy, you know it. If it's hungry, you know it. If it's dirty, you know it. If it wants to, you know it, right? You do for me what I want. You didn't have to teach that kid to do that. That kid was literally, the first thing the kid did when it came out of your wife's womb, I hate that word, was scream to alert to the world, it's about me. And then you had to go, no, 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 you need to share. They're like, share? What the heck are you talking about? Share. Yeah, no, we need to share our things. Why is it that you didn't have to say, no, you need to be selfish with your things? Because they already knew how to do that. Now, those are really practical things, but fellas, don't miss the practical reality. That's life. And by the way, you're just a grown-up toddler. We are exactly the same. I mean, we're more sophisticated in our tantrums, but we're exactly the same. And here's the irony. For many of you guys here, you realize something's not right, like in me. And definitely realize something's definitely not right with all of them. And you've been trying to find a remedy. That's why a lot of guys drink. Because they're like, something's broken, and so I just want to numb the brokenness. And then maybe it'll be unbroken. Have you ever noticed, by the way, you always sober up? What a downer, right? You go on a binger, and then you sober up. So you're like, all right, I'm really going to double down. You go to a super binger, and you sober up. Because that's not going to deal with the deep-rooted issue. That, That will not remedy it. Some of you are like, that's it. I'm going to eat keto. I'm going vegan. I'm going to intermittent fast. Like, I'm, I'm going to lose weight. Then, that's going to, and then you just got skinny, and we're still a grown-up toddler. And you, some of you are like, you know what? My dad said this to me, so I'm going to show him I'm going to make a junk load of money. And I'll prove to him that I'm something. And then, the brokenness that I have felt all of my life, I will finally make enough money that then I'll be a whole man And yet here we are. See, fellas, there's something desperately wrong with us. Whether we've been willing to admit it or not, whether we're downwind of ourself enough to smell it or not, something is desperately wrong with us, and that something is called sin. From this moment forward, there's two sort of schools of thought as to how it is we are like Adam and inherit his sin. One is called the federal head view. The idea being Adam was the first dude, Adam choked, therefore we all inherit because he's the first man, sort of symbolically we're just like him. By the way, Adam's struggle was multiple fold, and we don't have a lot of time to get into the the details of it, but his failure, he didn't, well, he didn't reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously. If you've ever heard that, shamelessly stolen by Robert from Robert Lewis in Men's Fraternity, but to play through this narrative and see him go passive not be responsible and not lead, that, that's like, that is ground zero for us in terms of men. But that being said, what happens is, is he becomes our federal head. He's also like our ancestor. Can I just call a timeout for just a second and say this? There's so much talk right now about race, a lot of talk about race, and, 
and there's a lot of injustice or injustice that's out there in the world. Can I just in a biblical way remind us that we're actually from the same family tree? So we're all family, yo. And there's not a functional family on the planet. So here we are. Now, the more we could live like we actually are all from the seminal head of Adam, we all come from his loins, disgusting as that is, we're all from Adam, we're all family, uh, he is the one who passes on to us the genetic mutation of sin. Now, why is that significant? It means that we're sinners, and forgive me for starting, you're like, dude, this speaker's like a downer night one. Stay with me for a moment. The reason this is significant is that means, fellas, we are, as humans, all of us, on various scales of awful, sinners by deed and sinners by nature. Sinners by deed, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time talking about. Are we, are we on the same page that you have a tendency, like I do, in a moment of weakness when someone cuts you off in traffic to say what's up to them in a very passionate way? Am I the only one who has a tendency to want to lash out like that? Where does that come from? We're sinners by deed. Given a moment of weakness, yep, we're going to click on it. Yep, we're going to lean into this. Yep, we're going to take a second look or the super creepy long first look. We've got something in us. Sinners by deed. By the way, how many sins does it take to disqualify us from heaven? This is cheesy, but it's effective. I don't know, how many rotten eggs does it take to make an omelet awful if i make you a four egg omelet which by the way is a little obsessive all right cut it down a little bit but if i made you a four egg omelet and only one was rotten would you eat it yeah but it's only one it's like no it's it it just takes a little to spoil the whole thing it also means though that we're sinners by nature because here's what happens because of our humanity we bear the stain of sin the stain of sin that as i mentioned good works cannot remedy um, religion will not remedy religion as in I'm going to jump through religious hoops in hope of making myself feel better. Uh, do do any, of you, any of you grow up in a religious background that felt like that? Like the religious treadmill? Any guys grow up Catholic? No, I'm not trying to bang on Catholic dudes, but Catholics have a pretty significant works-based process, right? Where if you do these things, then you earn this merit. It's just not the gospel, And again, I'm not trying to bang on Catholics. I'm trying to invite us into a biblical view of justification by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, because an interesting thing happens in this passage. I'm going to set this up and then I'll I'll close this. So as you walk through this passage, it's really sad. So the eyes of both of them, verse 7, are opened. They know now that they are naked. And uh, so they sew fig leaves together and make for themselves loin coverings. They're, They're covering their sin. Um, and again, uh, we're just more sophisticated. How, how many of you, when you're in high school and your curfew was 12 and you rolled in at 12:15, about three natty lights to the wind, and uh, you had to sit with dad and try to explain to him why you were not uh, home on time and you were crafting the story all the way home? How many of you have a conversation with your kids and you go, hey, so and so, what happened here? Oh, um, well, there was this. You know, and they're like making this stuff up. You're like, buddy, what? Like, I see right through that. Here's Adam and Eve hiding their sin. And uh, they hear the sound of the Lord, verse 8, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And so he and his wife, now aware of what sin even is, hide from the presence of God in the trees of the garden. And so the Lord calls to them, says, where are you? 
do not miss this here. God is omnipresent and omniscient. He knows exactly where they're at. Like, dads, now you're stalking your kids on their iPhone. Find my iPhone or Life360 or whatever, like, digital stalking app you have. God knew exactly where they were. He's not wanting the information. He's wanting honesty. And so he says to them, uh, where are you? And Adam's like, oh, my bad. I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. He's like, who told you you were naked? Like, how do you even know what that is? Have you eaten from the tree which I told you not to eat from? Now, we read the command in chapter 2. What was the command? Of any tree in the garden you may eat and eat freely, but of the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you should not eat from it. For on the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. It's not rocket science. It's not a hard question. And so sure enough, have you eaten from the tree I told you not to eat from? What's the correct answer? Yes. My bad. Yeah, dang it. Watch what he does. Verse 12. The woman whom you gave me, she made me eat. Notice, all he had to say is, that was me. I own it. But he starts with the woman. It was the woman. She was just a better woman that I wouldn't be like this. By the way, like I said, we're just more sophisticated toddlers. You ever feel like this with your wife, those of you who are married? Woman, if you would just be a different kind of woman, then I wouldn't have to act the way I act. I'm sorry, well, are you not responsible for your own actions? Well, if you would just be a better woman, if you would quit doing X, Y, Z, then I wouldn't have to do this. We do the same thing. It was the woman, but he doesn't stop there. Do you see it? It was the woman whom you gave me. Rule number one, it's not my fault. Okay? Secondly, it's probably her fault. Ultimately, it's your fault. This is on you. This is not on me. This is you. I am not responsible for the catastrophe of my own decisions. It's on anybody but me. Sound familiar? And that's, again, that's exactly where we're at even in our day. So it was the woman whom you gave me. What is this you have done? Verse 13, the woman says, well, it's a serpent who deceived me. And so in 14 and following is the cursing that comes after that. The whole world is spun into chaos from this moment forward. But what I want you to see is verse 21. In verse 21, you know, really, and in, in, in the cursing part, creation is cursed, the serpent is cursed, Adam is cursed, Eve is cursed. There's this really interesting verse 15 dynamic of, of uh, enmity or strife between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed, and a singular male pronoun, he, who will one day crush the serpent's head. Uh, Adam and Eve had no idea that that was Jesus, but I'm just telling you, the singular male pronoun, he, is a dude who would one day come and crush the head of the serpent i think you see jesus all the way back in genesis 3 15 the first gospel there but what i want you to see and then i'm going to wrap it up is verse 21 they covered themselves with fig leaves but notice what god did god did not accept their religious coverings for their sin instead something happens in verse 21 that becomes a pattern for the rest of the bible we're going to talk more in detail about it in the morning the lord makes for them what does your bible say in verse 21 Garments of skin. Any of your Bibles say anything different than that? Clothing from animal skins. Okay. How do you get clothing from an animal? Say it again. You have to kill it. Here's the principle that's introduced. The wages of sin is death. It always has been from the very beginning. Which means then that what God did here is said, thank you for your religious attempts and endeavors. Uh, endeavors. I reject them. 
graciously. Thank you? No. Instead, um, the shedding of innocent blood is what I'm going to use to cover your sin. Now, the reason that's significant, and I'll get into the details of this tomorrow, the reason that's significant is this. We have become, as dudes, uh, excellent at making fig leaves, terrible at accepting animal skins. We're really good at covering our sin, hiding our sin, justifying our sin. We are high-functioning drunks. We can, we can lie like the best of them in terms of what we're looking at on the internet. Um, we can minimize a gambling problem to our wives like no other. We can explain away and fig leaf our sin all day long and think that we're right with God. And yet, fellas, I want to tell you something. God says, thank you for your religious endeavors. Thank you for your justification. I graciously reject that. But I've got something for you. I don't reject you, but I reject what you're trying to do to cover your sin. And what we're going to find is this term gospel means good news. Because if we just said, hey, thanks for coming to man camp. We'll see you guys next year. Guy's like, dude, this is depressing. Because if you finish this message, you realize there's nothing good in us. There's none righteous, not even one. We are sinners by deed and by nature, and there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it. That's not good news. But the only way that good news is good is if you fully understand the bad. Good news is good because it's juxtaposed by the bad. And the bad is, friends, we've got a problem. And until we look honestly at that problem, do we have any guys in AA in here right now? Any guys in recovery? Nobody? Okay. AA, step one. What? Admit that you're powerless. Welcome to the gospel. So, fellas, we all need to take step one and recognize whether you feel like you're an alcoholic or not, it doesn't matter. We all have the same issue. Because, by the way, the root issue of alcoholism is sin. The root issue of pornography is sin. The root issue of a gambling problem is sin. Your anger problem is sin. Your pride problem is sin. It all comes back to patient zero. And we've got to reject our human endeavors to cover and accept God's provided lamb. Let's pray. We'll be done. God, I thank you for tonight for the opportunity to begin by looking back at how it all started. And Lord, I'm aware of the own darkness that still creeps in my life that if I'm not mindful, can trip me up like Satan trips up Eve in this passage. And yet I'm thankful, God, like most of these guys here who have trusted you, I'm thankful that there is a sense of we have received from you that which was outside of ourselves. So now as we process that together, I pray for our brothers who are still trying to figure out what it means to walk with Jesus, what it means for him to be the Savior. Why do I even need a Savior? Why do I want a Lord? I'm Lord of my life. Why would I submit to anything? Could the journey that we're on together be a, an opening of a fresh insight into a God who loves us so much that he sacrificed the innocent lamb to cover us with his righteousness? So could we leave tonight with a sense of understanding, a greater understanding of the bad news so that we can really appreciate the good news. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.